We're on week two of our message series that we began last week, Shipwrecked, and last week we talked about how there's just circumstances that we face in life that can sometimes cause us to become shipwrecked in our faith, and today I want to speak specifically about pain, suffering, and trauma, and how that can cause us to be shipwrecked as well. Uh, Let's take a look at the kind of the basis for this message series again this week. We uh, looked at it last week, but uh, this is where we get it from, from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 to 19. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to the faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck in regards to the faith. So what we're trying to be careful of is to be aware that our faith can become shipwrecked. And I mentioned that what we're going to focus on specifically today is pain, suffering, and trauma. And if I was to say who's the person that suffered the most in Scripture, most of us would respond, well, that would be Job. And so that's kind of where we're going to start this message this, this morning. Some of you have heard the story of Job. Maybe some of you uh, are not quite as familiar with it. But we're going to look at the first uh, uh, couple chapters of Job and then kind of expand from there. But let's start with Job chapter 1, verse 1. And it says, In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. Well, first of all, where is the land of Uz? That, that term is used in the Bible uh, several times, but we don't really know where that, that land was. Um, but we do know this, it was outside of, of, of the area of Israel. And we, we don't even really know who Job was. Um, some people speculate that it's maybe Esau's grandson, but there, there's no proof that it was that. Uh, but, but we know this, this was not in the land of Israel, and it was not an Israelite who experienced this. And so it's interesting is we're going to see that of, of all the people in the Bible, uh, no one was more faithful to God in suffering. And this isn't even, uh, you know, one of the, uh, the lineage of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Even if it is Esau's uh, grandson or off of Esau, that, that's not part of the chain of the blessing in which we receive Israel. Uh, but nonetheless, the story is recorded for us in Scripture. And the story continues that this man Job was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and he had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man amongst all the people of the East, and his sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And when a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would offer a sacrifice, a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. And this was Job's regular custom. So from this, we know that it says of Job that he's blameless, he's upright, he fears God, 
He shuns that which is evil, and he's an extremely wealthy individual. He's got 10 kids, and, and you heard about all the livestock that he had. And the other thing that's interesting is he, uh, he basically operates as, as a priest for his family. The priest uh, in Israel would offer sacrifices for the people of Israel so that their sins would be atoned for. Well, this is what Job would do, especially when his kids would get together for big celebrations. When it was over, just in case you, you know, any of them had potentially sinned against God in their hearts or in their minds, he, he would make sacrifices for all all of his kids. So he's blameless, he's upright, he fears God, he's extremely wealthy, and, and he's like a priest to his family. The story continues. Now one day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan, Satan is also with them. And so the Lord says to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, and a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything that he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that the flocks and the herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything that he has, and surely he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything that he has is in your power, but on the man himself, you are not allowed to lay a finger. And then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put your servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens, and it burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties, and they swept down on your camels, and they made off with them, and they put your servants to the sword. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and your daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept through the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they're dead. And I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up, he tore his robe, and he shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. For the Lord gives, the Lord has taken away. And may the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God 
with wrongdoing. You see, Satan thought he could shipwreck Job's faith by causing all kinds of calamity to befall Job's household. Now, I know what everyone's thinking in here. What is Satan doing walking in the presence of God? And I'm here to tell you that is like a whole topic in and of itself, so don't even ask. But we see that Satan is, and, and, and God says, listen, have you considered Job? There's, there's no one like him, not, not anywhere on the face of the earth. And what's interesting is, like, we actually get to see maybe behind the scenes of, of the spiritual warfare that goes on and, and, and why and sometimes maybe pain and suffering goes on. Because Job, is he's just, like, living in the moment. All he knows is, like, the first messenger comes and, and he finds out that, you know, he's lost some of his, his, his livestock and servants. And the second messenger, it's the same. And the third messenger, it's the same. And then the fourth messenger comes and says, and by the way, all your kids are dead, right? So Job is just living in the moment and, and the stuff's going on in real time. But he's not even aware of the conversation that, that, that's taken place between God and Satan, which is causing all of this stuff to come. And in the midst of it, even though it probably was shipwrecked any of our faith, if it had happened to us, Job stands firm. What does he do? He, he gets up and then he, he bows to the ground and he worships God. He said, I came into this world with absolutely nothing and, it, and I'm going to leave this world now with absolutely nothing because it's all been taken, taken away. He said, the Lord gives and the Lord can take away and has taken away. But regardless of it all, he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. What an amazing response. Who, who of us could have ever responded that way? No one could. This is why God says of Job that there's no one like him in all the earth. And so then Satan, having failed at cause, causing Job's faith to be shipwrecked by taking all that he has, he decides to go another approach with it. And so the story continue, continues, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Now, on another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright. He's a man who fears God and shuns evil. And still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason or cause. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all that he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. 
So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and he afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the very top of his head. Job took a piece of broken pottery, and he scraped himself with it as he sat amongst the ashes. And his wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. And he replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept the good from God and not the bad? Shall we accept the good from God and not the trouble? And if I was to read two verses longer, so much is this affliction of sores and boils all over Job's body from the bottom of his feet. He just even stand on his feet across his whole body to the top of his head. His friends, two verses later, uh, show up uh, to find out what's going on and to, you know, have words with Job and, and encourage, I put in quote, uh, quotes, Job. They don't even recognize what he looks like as they're approaching him because he's been so grotesquely disfigured by these sores. And he's sitting there with a broken piece of pottery, scraping at these sores uh, to keep the pus out of them and try to keep them from being infected. He's sitting in a pile of, of ashes because according to the culture of its day, you would throw the ashes upon yourself as a sign of repentance. He's, he's repenting for something. He doesn't even know what he did. He's just assuming that all of this is happening because he has done something wrong. And in the midst of it, his wife, seeing him so grotesquely disfigured, with them having lost their 10 kids and all of their wealth and all of their servants, she's like, why are you holding on to your, your integrity? Just, just curse God and die. And his response, basically, basically just shut up. You're talking like a foolish woman. He says, shall we accept the good from God and not the trouble? And I think this is such a big one as we try to wrap our arms around something like this, pain and suffering. We want to accept the good from God, but, but we're not willing to accept the trouble. And from Job's perspective, he's like, you know what? We've been blessed for a long time, and we've been more than glad to, to receive that and to accept it. And so I'm not going to curse God in the trouble, because if I'm willing to accept one, I've got to be willing to accept the other. But I, I think for most of us in here, that, that's, not, that's not the case. And so truly, Job was like someone, no one else on the earth. Satan failed to shipwreck Job's faith. Job, in spite of losing everything that he had and being covered in painful sores from top to bottom, would not curse God and die. And this is why we love the story of Job, because the story of Job inspires us when we go through our own suffering, when we go through our own pain, when we go through our own difficulties. That, that, like, we, we ought not allow those things to shipwreck our faith. Because we, we just, we have this false view that, that, that like, we should never really have to suffer. That, 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 that it, 
if we're being faithful to God, that, that we'll just receive the good, that we'll just receive the blessing that the Lord will give. We don't acknowledge that the Lord at times may take away. But the truth is, and, and the reality is, is that sometimes it's part of our character development, sometimes it's part of our faith development that, that we will have to undergo suffering and trials and difficulties. Look at Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. Paul says this to, in his letter to the Romans. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering will produce endurance and endurance will produce character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul says that we rejoice in our sufferings. And let me ask you, do you rejoice in your sufferings? When, when you do have those times of, of pain and those times of suffering, do, do you rejoice in it or, or, or do you try to run away from it? Because there's purpose that comes in suffering. It's through our suffering that we build endurance, right? You need to have endurance to get through those, those times in our lives in which everything's going wrong and, and, and we're suffering. You have to have endurance to get through it. And, and as you develop that endurance, what does that do? That, that, that produces character in you. And, and that character will produce hope, and hope is a powerful thing. 1 Peter 5.10 says this, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That when we're in our suffering, we may feel like we're being abandoned by God, but, but Job didn't think that, and, and, and neither are we abandoned by God. That after a little bit of time, he will strengthen us, he, he, he will restore us. This is, this is what Paul realized. As Paul struggled with, with suffering in his own life, uh, Paul, we don't know what his suffering was, but specifically we're told in, in one place in Scripture that, that Paul describes, like, he's, he's suffering with a messenger of, of Satan that, that is afflicting him. Maybe physically, may, maybe mentally, we don't know, but, but he's suffering, and, and his initial reaction is, is to, to cry out to God to take it away from him, but he realizes that, that that's not what's needed. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, 5 to 10. Paul says this, I'll boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say or because of these surpassingly great revelations. He says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given this thorn in my flesh, a, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I will delight in weaknesses, 
I'll delight in insults. I'll delight in hardships. I'll delight in persecutions and in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And I would say the same in terms of pain and suffering, that it is in that weakness that we ultimately know strength. Why? Because it is in those times of weaknesses that we have to rely on Christ all the more. So our natural inclination is to run away from pain and suffering, to avoid it. But what we see is sometimes it's an integral part of our faith development. And pain and suffering should be embraced. That we should, as Paul says, rejoice in our sufferings rather than run away from them. I recently had a conversation with a former member who'd been brought closer to God through his suffering, and I want to tell you a story. I actually did a podcast on this like a month ago, so if you listen to my podcast, you've heard this part of the sermon, but uh, most of us in here haven't. But uh, about a month ago, uh, well, let me, before that, um, a year and a half ago or so, there's this person who had been a member of, of this church for a long time. I don't know, 10 years, 12 years, 13, I, I don't know, a long time. And I would say maybe an average attender, maybe even a little bit less than an average attender. I mean, he had been here a long time, and, and I knew him well uh, because he came when the church was relatively new and, and young and so forth. Uh, and so there might be, you know, a couple months where you see him uh, fairly frequently, and then maybe a couple months, not much at all. But, uh, but I, I remember getting a a, uh, a call from him or email, whatever it was, a year and a half ago, saying that he, he had gotten some bad news and he needed to talk to me about it. And so he made an appointment and he, he came in to visit me in, in the office. And uh, when he came in, he shared with me that uh, he had just gotten some pretty troubling news and that he had been diagnosed with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And most of you are familiar with it, but it's a disease that involves the nervous system. It affects the nerve cells, the brain, the spinal cord, ultimately your muscle strength, and it attacks everyone differently, but in the end, uh, most people die because uh, they just don't even have the, the, the muscle strength to be able to breathe. And, um, and once you're diagnosed with it, you have about two to five years to live. It's a very, um, it, it's a death sentence in, in a very, uh, very nasty disease. And he came in to share with me about, you know, how he had found out and what the doctors were saying. And, and he was struggling with it. And, and, and as I sat there and I talked to him, like I could see it, in, you know, people's eyes talk, right? You could see the, the worry, the weight of the world in his eyes and in his face. Just, I mean, think about it. If you were told that and, and you know that your body was going to progressively go uh, you know, decline and decline, decline until you couldn't do anything for yourself and then you ultimately die. That, that, is, not, that is not news that you want to hear. And, 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 and I always struggle at times like that when people talk to me in the office because what do I say? And you're like, well, you've got the gospel. Great, but I preach that like all the time. What do I have new to say? And, and the truth is at times like that, you, there's not much you can say. Uh, a lot of times you, you just sit there and, and you grieve with the person and, and, and you listen to the person and you're there for the person. You pray with the person. And when he was in there talking with me, I, I looked and I tried to find a, a, a few books to, to, for him to kind of take with him as, as he left that day, and I prayed with him. And um, over the next couple months, he, he retired from his job. 
Um, and then they began to make plans to uh, sell their house here and move up to Oklahoma where their adult kids were so that they could be near them as, uh, as his health declined. And then after he moved, I, I didn't really keep in touch with him at all. I hadn't heard from him at all about uh, three-quarters of a year or so into that. I ended up getting a call from his wife uh, and he was in the hospital and it didn't look like he was going to make it. They didn't know what was going on because ALS doesn't progress uh, quite that, that fast. Well, he, he actually did make it and, and, uh, and got out of the hospital, but it took a pretty significant toll out on him. Uh, and then I hadn't heard for another like three quarters of a year until about like a month ago. About a month ago, I got a phone call and he had come into town. His wife had a business trip and he decided to come with her so that he could catch up with some old uh, work friends. And, and he said, and I've got a couple books I need to return to you. So uh, do you mind if I come by? And I'm like, I, listen, I could care less about the books. I forgot I even gave him any books. Uh, but I said, I would love to, to get to visit with you. And, uh, and so as he, as he came in the office, he, he looked different than when I had seen him a year and a half ago. He was now in a wheelchair and, and, and driving it with a little joystick. Um, when, when he talked, he, because he was already losing a lot of muscle control in his ability to breathe, he could only take very maybe what you and I would be like a one quarter, maybe one third breath in talking as he's doing that. And so like, I was very uh, aware of the fact that as we were talking for a better part of an hour, like he had other places he wanted to go that day. And I, I could see him getting tired, even just trying to be able to, to breathe and talk at the same time. So a lot had changed in him physically than when I had seen him a year and a half ago. But there was another difference, another change in him that, that wasn't there a year and a half ago. Um, the same guy who a year and a half ago, as he talked to me, the weight of the world was on his face, his, his eyes were hurting, his, it just, you, you could feel the, 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 the overwhelming weight of what he had been told upon him that I could do nothing to change or fix. Now as I'm talking to this person who's physically like not in nearly as good a shape, suddenly like his eyes are wider. There was was a glow, I would say, to his eyes, to his face. He had a smile on his face, and and, and I just, I couldn't figure it out. And I'm like, I I said, how how did you get from where you were when we talked a year and a half ago, you know, to where you are now? And he, he said that there's been a lot of things, but he said when he was first diagnosed with ALS, he felt like he was being punished by God really the same as Job, right? Job had no concept of the, of the conversation that was going on between God. God's even kind of scolding Satan that, that you've made me incite this person for no reason. Uh, so so he, he went from feeling like God was punishing him to he said like, he's just, his faith is so much stronger now and, and he's just had certain experiences that, that, that has just made him all the more certain of where he's going. And he's, he asked me, he's like, have you ever heard of God winks? And I'm like, yeah, I've heard the term before. And he's like, I've had these different God winks. And he told me one of them, he said, <clears throat> he said several months ago, I, I don't remember how long ago it was, he said, you know what, I woke up in the middle of the night and I looked over at the, the clock and it was 3.16 in the morning. 
He said, then the next night, I wake up in the middle of the night and I look at the clock and he said, it's 3.16 in the morning. He said, the third night, I wake up, I look at all three nights, he wakes up at the exact same time, looks at the clock and it's 3.16 in the morning. And he said, then I had this realization, wait, 3.16, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And he's like, he, he felt like God was reassuring him in the midst of his disease that, 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 that he loved him and, and, and he was trying to speak John 3.16 from the alarm clock being 3.16. He said once he realized that, he, never, he hasn't woken up at 3.16 since and he said just these different things had happened in his life that has caused him to, to just know who God is in a much greater way and know where he's going to the point that he's not even treating himself for, for the ALS. He said, the doctor said that only extends your life five months and it'll probably make you sick. He's like, I know where I'm going and I'm looking forward to going. His eyes are bright and he's just, he's, he's excited about it. And, and so to, to see this change from someone with a, I want to say a, a mediocre faith, but someone who, who maybe isn't nearly as active as what they know they can and, 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 and just, just kind of going through the motions to someone ha who, who's been given a death sentence, whose faith has become all, you know, suddenly alive. It's an amazing thing to see. And I've mentioned in the past that there's a handful of people in the 25 years of being a pastor, there's a handful of people that it, it is in how they die that, that it blesses me personally and, and it ministers to me. And, and, and certainly in this situation, to see someone go from, from being very average, maybe in, in their view of God and faith, to, to being so excited to, to spend eternity with, with God in heaven, like he can't get their quick enough that that's so incredibly powerful and I used to always have this phrase that I would keep in the back of my mind I I heard it a long time ago and it's always stuck with me and the phrase is this except for the grace of God go I and I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase but it basically says listen bad things happen right and it's only by the grace of God that, that I haven't experienced it. And, and, and it's, it's, it's almost like a, an acknowledgement of thankfulness, like, God, thank you that I haven't experienced it. But the reality is, is we're all going to experience it at some point. But sometimes it, it's not the grace of God go I. In other words, sometimes it's not the grace of God that we haven't experienced it. Sometimes it's the grace of God that we do experience it. And that would be in this gentleman's case, right? It's by the grace of God that, that he now has experienced this suffering and this pain because it's through the suffering and pain he now has a faith that's tenfold of what it ever was before. Once again, it's the pain and the suffering that sometimes develops our, our faith and our trust in God. I don't know. I don't know what pain and suffering and trauma you've experienced throughout your lives. Some of you maybe struggled with chronic illnesses. Some of you may have lost a spouse. Some of you may have lost a child. Some of you may have been abused as a child or been abused in your marriage. Some of you maybe have been robbed at gunpoint. Some of you may have been physically assaulted and some of you may be sexually assaulted. And some of you might be in the middle of experiencing pain and suffering right now. 
and I want to encourage you with this, is we don't, we don't really have a say in whether or not we experience pain and suffering. But we do have a choice in how, how we experience it. Let me say that again. We may not get a choice on if we're going to have pain and suffering. Listen, I mean, sometimes it's self-induced, but usually it just comes, right? You don't have a choice in it, but you do have a choice in how you handle it and how you process it. I, I've, I've known people who, who can't get over their aged parents' death. I mean, parents that live a full life, right? You know, maybe 75 years or 78 years. I mean, they, okay, they didn't live to 100, but they, listen, they, they've had a full life. And, and you'll have these people, like, they can't get over the fact that dad died or mom died, and, and, and they're wrecked for years because of it. And then on the other side, you have other people who, who lose a you know, 23-year-old, 24-year-old child, and, and that child is, 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 is knowing where they're going and, and, and not mad at God and, and ready to embrace the etern eternity. The parents who lose that kid are, are willing to accept that and, and to not be angry at God. And how is it that like some people, like they lose an old parent and, and they're just so messed up about it and other people who, who suffer maybe a far more difficult type of death that, that they're good with it? Because in the end, like we can't choose whether or not we experience pain and suffering, but we can choose how we handle it. And you can experience it by shaking your fist at God and being mad that this, why'd you take, you know, so-and-so from me? Or, or why did I have to go through that or experience that? You can spend it by feeling sorry for yourself, and we love to do that when we're going through pain and suffering. We, we just feel, feel bad for ourselves. You, you can do it in a, in a way that it fills your heart with anger and resentment. Or we can experience it in faith. Trusting that God will bring good out of that suffering, the pain, and the trauma. That's how Job dealt with it, right? He didn't understand what, what was going on, but yet he trusted God and he wasn't going to curse God's name. And this gentleman that, you know, was diagnosed with ALS, that's how he's facing it. Because in the end, like, he's seen how his faith has grown as a result of it, and, and he sees this death sentence as a blessing. Because ultimately, the choice is ours. Do we believe that God will, will work even in the midst of pain, suffering, or trauma, or won't he? Romans 8.28 gives us the answer. And we know that in all things, God works for the good. In all things, even in pain and suffering and trauma and, 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 and immense difficulties, God, if you trust him, he's going to work for your good, for those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. Job believed this, and, and even in the midst of losing all that he owned, all that he had, his own children, what scripture says about Job is that God, because he was faithful in the midst of that, because it didn't shipwreck his faith, that God blessed Job with double what he had the first part of his life. God worked good through that pain and that suffering. Uh, the, the gentleman I'm talking to you about with the ALS, it's the same. Like, the, God has strengthened his faith, and now he's looking forward to, like, eternal life with God in heaven. And not like, not like just, like, it's going to be okay, but, like, glowing, excited about it.
So too will God bless us, even in our sufferings and in our difficult days, if we trust him. And the choice is ours, a shipwreck faith or a blessed faith. I choose a blessed, a blessed faith, even if it might be incredibly painful as you experience that pain and that suffering. Because in the end, I know this God is good. And the Lord will give and the Lord will take away. But through it all, blessed be the name of the Lord. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious Almighty God, you know where each of us is at this very morning. You know what pain and suffering and trauma we've experienced in our past. You know how it affects us in the present. For some of us in here right now, maybe we're going through it. And I just pray, gracious God, that we wouldn't allow the, the pain of our past to shipwreck our faith in the present and, and the pain and the suffering in the present to shipwreck our faith in the future and yet the pain and the suffering that's still to come in our future that it wouldn't cause us to, to doubt you or to turn away from you or to even run away from that pain and suffering but that we would embrace it because that suffering will produce endurance and character and hope and in the midst of our weakness we will know strength. Help us, gracious God, in those most difficult times so that our faith would not be shipwrecked, but in fact would grow stronger. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. It's certainly good getting to worship with all of you this morning. If there's anything weighing heavily in your heart or mind, a member of our prayer ministry team's in the back, and she'd be honored and privileged to pray with you, for you, and over you. Have a wonderful day and a wonderful week.